I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's good to see everyone out this evening. It was good to just have, uh, be able to have another service of worship to our God, to be able to sing praises to Him with uh, others who are of His family and of His church, of His kingdom. Uh, and it's just good to be able to have these relationships and their blessings that we should never take for granted. Obviously, the church being uh, the family through Christ. Um, this morning, what I want to do is just kind of talk a little bit to a degree about um, the relationships that we have. And particularly, uh, especially for me and Paige being a new addition into the family here at Lakeside, uh, the Lakeside Church of Christ. And so I wanted to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the first few verses there, what Paul says as he comes to, uh, or as, uh, as he was reminding the church in Corinth about how he came to them. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, again, what I want to talk this morning about is, is this relationship that we have through Christ, and particularly uh, me and Paige, as I said a moment ago, uh, being able to join ourselves to the group here, the local church at Lakeside. Like Paul, uh, as, he, as he's referring to the time, I believe, in Acts chapter 18, when he actually does come to the, uh, Corinthian, uh, the Corinthians and, and he is, his work throughout that time spent there. Like Paul, I have come to you and not to replace those who have been preachers in the, pla in the past, but uh, like Josh, David McPherson, and others, but to continue to build on the foundation that they continue to build on themselves, which was Christ. And so as an evangelist, what I, what I want to do is talk about the responsibilities that I believe uh, Paul and several others, God ultimately gives to an evangelist, um, but also what uh, the local congregation, um, the, the responsibilities that, that we have as a, as a collective unit as well. So I, I, I just want to go through two main points, and that is that as an evangelist, I, I will bring with me certain qualities, but I will also need some things from all of you here at Lakeside uh, as we try to bring others into uh, Christ's kingdom and as we try to evangelize and do the Lord's work together. So first of all, as I said a moment ago, I, I want to just make just a, a brief list of a few of the things that, that I bring with me as I come to Lakeside. First of all, I would say I think it's pretty important to know what the role of an evangelist is not. Um, and I think there's a good reason for that because much of the religious world just really has a bad understanding of what a preacher is, of what a uh, evangelist is. And, and sometimes you'll hear people say, well, this is the pastor. And no, that is very much not the case. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
Beginning in verse 1, Paul again speaking says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their, their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now again, as, as you think about that, that term of an evangelist or a preacher, you and I both know that that is not a pastor the way much of the religious world uses that. In fact, as we talked about in our uh, Bible class this morning, pastor, there are a few different words we could use there. Overseer, bishop, elder. That is the the uh, leadership, the role of leadership that God has specified, given us a pattern for, for the local congregation. And we can get into uh, more study on that specifically at a later date. But just to make the point now, I am not a pastor. And I am not a, a deacon or an activist uh, or a counselor. I am a herald of the king. Uh, and what that means is I am just simply repeating the words of our King Christ. Um, but also, what, uh, as we were talking about what the role of an evangelist is not, this role is not one where I'm focused on everywhere else but Lakeside. Um, sometimes we use the term uh, local evangelist, and what we mean by that is kind of like how Paul would, uh, throughout his missionary journeys, he would go to Antioch, and for a time he stayed there, and he preached there. And so you could maybe say that he was a local evangelist of Antioch for a time, but then he would go to Corinth, and he, then he would go to Ephesus. And so you, you, and as he traveled, he would preach at that location for as long as he was there until he moved on to continue building on that foundation of Christ. But... Uh, particularly when, when you think about an evangelist today, and especially the differences between an evangelist today and Paul back then, Paul was also an apostle. And so there are times where you see him writing letters to other congregations, and he is giving very, uh, very um, pointed lessons, and sometimes disciplining to a degree. And he, is, uh, and he is dealing with some of the issues, and he's also encouraging them to a degree, even from afar. But for an evangelist today, that is not... Uh, a work of an evangelist, but rather of an apostle. What an a local evangelist is responsible for is the work of this location, the lo at Lakeside that I am a part of, the family that we have joined ourselves to. And so I'm not to be meddling in the affairs of you know, Southside or meddling, meddling in the affairs of Fairview. Uh, I'm focused on the work here. And we, are, and we need to be focused on the work together here. And in fact, when you look throughout First and Second Timothy and Titus, I think Paul uh, makes this point over and over again to both of them as he's giving them advice, as he's giving them commandments to follow. He, he kind of has this idea of make sure you focus on those around you. Make sure that you teach these things and you repeat these things to those around you and those that are listening to you. Well, also what I am not is, is um, and this is also, I think, a misconception throughout much of the religious world, but I am not an employee of the church. And I, again, I know that... Most of us kind of understand uh, that what we mean by that. I'm not an employee of the church, but a worker of God. If you want to say an employee of God, then I guess so. But I prefer the term worker. A laborer in the vineyard. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, Paul says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. 
But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And so particularly in the uh, case of that letter to the Corinthians, he has to uh, make, a, make an even bigger point about how he has um, you know, robbed other churches to make sure that he was not a burden to the, the Corinthians. And he, he sacrifices much to show them, to give them an example of what uh, a worker in God's kingdom should look like. And really, by extension, what uh, a fellow Christian should look like to one another. That kind of dedication and love that we should have for each other. But, but again, one of the, the main points that I, that I wanted to make here with this passage was the fact that it is, we are, an evangelist is specifically a worker for God. Um, and that can be confusing, especially in view of the support that churches give evangelists. But I think if we correctly view the, that relationship, it makes it all the more beautiful. When you think about the relationship between Paul and the Philippians, do you know how he writes to the Philippians? But with the most beautiful, the most loving of languages, the most affectionate of language. And how he ends in Philippians chapter 4 as he talks about uh, being able to suffer need and being able to <laughs> suffer abundance. Interestingly enough, he's content. Why? Because I have Christ who strengthens me. And I can do all things uh, through Christ which, who strengthens me. But all of that just to say he talks about the gift that, that they have been trying to send him. And, and he comforts them even though he's the one uh, currently under affliction, much affliction. And he tries to comfort them by saying, don't worry, I, I was fine. Even though it couldn't t- come for a time, I was okay. But you just look at the language that Paul uses there for those brethren, and I think that that shows us what kind of relationship this is. It is a beautiful relationship where we can share in the spreading of the gospel. And we'll talk about this more as we go on, but I think it would be a good idea to make the distinction now. There, there, there is a, a uh, different level of, of capability in the time that I have compared to the time that you all have to be able to work and, and try to spread the gospel and try to uh, increase the, the, uh, the expansion of the kingdom as much as possible because I literally have all day, every day to work on that. Now, ultimately, nothing should ever be disconnected from our uh, Christianity. Nothing should ever be disconnected from our relationship with Christ and our goal to spread the gospel. But at the same time, you all understand that when you have jobs, there are objectives that you have to get done. And sometimes that means that you're not going to be able to talk really to anybody until those objectives get done. And sometimes that's a whole day. And so there are some distinct distinctions between the capability that a full-time evangelist could have as opposed to uh, everyone else who just doesn't have that kind of time uh, or that kind of opportunity. But ultimately, uh, when we have a correct view of this kind of fellowship, which it is, what you find is every person that I ever will ever talk to, every person that I will ever have a study with, by extension, you have a hand in that. And I think that that's so I think that that's very beautiful to think about it in that way, that we all have, uh, that we all are helping towards that goal, uh, even in something as as maybe subtle as the fellowship extended uh, through that support. Well, beyond that, not only do I have a knowledge of what uh, the role of an evangelist, the work of an evangelist is not, I also have knowledge of what that should be. Um, again, you can just look at First or Second Timothy chapter four in the first five verses. And you see uh, many things that Paul uh, instructs Timothy there 
to be and do as a preacher. Um, but I really like, going back to what we were saying a moment ago, there's a lot of, um, I think, misconceptions and just a bad terminology used, especially throughout the religious world as they talk about preachers and evangelists. Uh, you know, as we were saying a moment ago, sometimes they're referred to as pastors, which they're not. But I really like uh, the way that the Bible, the New Testament especially, um, or at, in the book of Acts, I like how it tends to reference Philip. You remember Philip in Acts chapter 8? He's, as the church is being persecuted and it's spreading because of that persecution, you see Philip go to Samaria and he begins spreading the gospel there. And then at the end of the chapter, you see him uh, uh, within, in the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And all throughout that chapter, he is preaching and never stops. Um, but, but I like over in Acts chapter 21 in verse 8 how it refers to him. What does it say about him? On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. I, I think that's as good a term as any. In fact, I think that's one of the most, uh, I think that's one of the <laughs> scriptural term that we can use when talking about preachers. But, but what does that mean, an evangelist? It is just a simple preacher of God's word. As we were saying a moment ago, the, uh, specifically the king's herald. What we speak, what I speak is nothing more and nothing less than what I have given to me by the king. And that should be something that, that you all are constantly looking for to make sure that everything that is being spoken in a Bible class or in a sermon setting, that it is always coming from this word. Not the word of Luke Caps, but from the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so that's something that we always, that we can never really, you know, stop focusing on or stop thinking about. That's something that has to continue uh, and, and in a consistent way uh, as we go throughout uh, this uh, relationship. But beyond that, in Titus chapter 2, what this means is I'm the king's herald and I say exactly what he says. I repeat his word when it's easy to hear and even when it becomes uncomfortable to hear. Over in Titus 2, chapter 2, I, I, I had some problems trying to convert the slides, so I don't know if you'll be able to read everything, but I'll, I'll read it aloud either way. But in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who, came, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And specifically in verse 15, I like how he uses both of those words. One is kind of a positive and one we tend to look at as more of a negative word. But you have exhort and, and reprove. And frankly, when you're speaking the words of God, really whenever you're speaking the words of God, there are going to be some that are exhorted, that are encouraged, and are bolstered because of, of words of eternal life being spoken. And there will be others that hear that same word but will be pierced to the heart. And it will be a reproof and it will be a rebuke against maybe uh, the, the deeds that they have been doing, not good deeds, as it says in verse 14. And so I, I would just ask that you remember that as, as I try to, as I strive to make sure that as I'm studying through these lessons and trying to bring a lesson every single week or a couple lessons every single week, that they're always from the scriptures. But even when... It's hard to listen to. Even when it's uncomfortable, it's still something that needs to be spoken. 
And it's not something that needs to be, uh, it's not a responsibility that we need to shirk from or, or uh, just act like isn't important. It's something that we need to consistently strive for uh, continually. Well, beyond that, over, back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, with, uh, beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look again at what Paul says. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is the goal. The goal is to preach nothing other than the gospel. The goal is to make sure that we don't waste time while we're here. And sometimes, uh, you know, especially when it feels like I, I, really, I really relate to what Paul is saying of, of someone not having superiority of speech. You know, sometimes it feels like maybe, maybe we, we uh, may be wasting time. I don't want that to be the case whenever I'm up here. I don't want to just be rambling while I'm trying to, to relate the lessons and applications that we're supposed to take from God's word. Rather, what I want to do is get to the point and all the while making sure that, that as we said just a moment ago in, in Titus chapter 2, without partiality in reference to the topic or audience, we are just preaching the unadulterated, undiluted word of God. So, with all that being said, not only do... Uh, do I need to be just a simple herald of God's word? But I also, I think, need to be an example. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's interesting that Paul says that even though Timothy is a youth, that he expects him to be an example. In verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And so, I, I, let me just say, I think that there is great wisdom in making sure that, uh, that we, uh, when we are talking to younger people, and, and I am including myself as well, so don't, don't, don't get ahead of me, but, but it, when we're talking to younger people that we stress the, the notion that, that, that maybe you need to be careful about the example that you are, are giving, that you need to be careful that when you're trying to be an example, that you're not just trying to be seen by everybody just to be seen, just for that sake of being noticed. I think that wisdom is, is always needed, and I think there's a healthy balance. But I also want to look at what Paul says, that even though Timothy was a youth, he says, you need to be an example. And so maybe what that does is just heighten the responsibility when we talk to younger, younger people, younger generations, and say, are you able to live up to this standard? Are you, though you are younger, are you able to actually uh, read through this verse? If Paul was writing to you, if Paul was writing to me, would I be able to say, okay, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm striving for. Um, but either way, regardless, whether I'm a youth or not, I think as an evangelist, I do need to be an example. I need to practice what I preach. I can't come up here and preach one thing about withdrawal, and then you see in my life that I'm not doing that at all. I can't come up here and preach something about authority as we did this morning. And then in you know, my daily life, you can tell that that man cares nothing about it. And he clearly doesn't care about, uh, about making sure that literally everything that we do is actually uh, approved and affirmed by God's word. And so I, 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 I want to go through all of this just to, just to make sure that you hold me accountable. As we go throughout the years, as we go throughout our days, that you hold me accountable, that I keep preaching the word, and that I keep uh, the dedication that I'm supposed to have. And incidentally, that's the next point that, uh, that we're going to go to, and that is uh, of commitment. 
commitment to his work of laboring in the fields. In, in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 37 beginning, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That this work is not necessarily easy, and especially as you look at um, as you look through Acts, through Paul's journeys, as he is trying to spread the gospel himself, you can tell it's not easy. Now, I will say, I, I think it's much easier today than it was in the first century. And, and uh, incidentally, I think it's probably a lot easier today than maybe even still in the last century. Um, I, I think that we have, we've, we've had a, a lot of um, additional comforts that we can that we should be thankful for from God, whether it be an evangelist or just uh, those of his church. Um, especially in our country, we're not persecuted, uh, at least not yet, we're not really persecuted for, uh, the, for just being able to worship God publicly and in, in, in the open, having a building that's right next to the highway. Um, and so there are some differences there, but there are still many difficulties, especially when you think about being an example. And, and it, sometimes, and I don't think that this is right, and so I'm not saying this in, a, in necessarily a good way, sometimes the preacher can be put on a pedestal. And I don't think that's good, one, for his ego, <laughs> and two, because very simply, an evangelist is just the same as, as any other Christian. He's, he is someone that needs encouragement. He is someone that needs uh, exhortation, and sometimes he's someone that needs reproof. And, and, and I, I will just add on to that, that by extension, I think also the evangelist's wife does need that kind of encouragement, too, because she, <laughs> you know, is, is either... <laughs> very graciously walking behind, accepting everything that comes, or the preacher is dragging her along and she has to take all of the negative comments or something like that. And there has been moments where there have been negative comments. And there's been moments where especially uh, Paige has had to deal with even brethren, sisters in Christ, who would backbite. And so those things, they hurt just as much. Uh, and so we also need that kind of encouragement. We'll come back to that in, uh, later on in the lesson. But just to make the case that, that it, it, it is a difficult work and one, as Jesus says, that, that, um, should be, that should be prayed for, prayed about, and encouraged. Uh, over in Luke chapter 9, just speaking more about the dedication and the commitment that, that an evangelist should have, one not willing to spend his life for, for this work is just simply not doing the work of an evangelist. Over in Luke chapter 9, in verse 61, this is uh, after two other uh, two other interactions with Jesus and in each case uh, there was something holding uh, these people that he was speaking to back and this last person as as he's invited to follow Jesus is he says another also said I will follow you Lord but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home but Jesus said to him no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God now, I think that there is also uh, much application there for, for any Christian whatsoever, but especially when it comes to an evangelist, I think that, that uh, there's, there should be an even more impactful application there, that we can't, we can't find it acceptable to be like Mark when in the middle of that journey, uh, when in the middle of one of those journeys, he deserted them for a time. That's what the text says. Now, ultimately, Paul and Mark seem to reconcile towards the end of Paul's life because it seems as though Mark has proven himself and he is going back to the work that, that, they, that he had started with. But at the same time, think about how much damage that can do. 
if there's not that kind of commitment there already. And one has to be willing, like Paul, to spend and be spent. As he says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And, all, and I do think that love has a, big, uh, has a really big part to play in the work of an evangelist. Um, and I will say, you know, especially growing up, I didn't really like you know, showing emotion all that much, but especially ever since I became a preacher, I've had to really try and change that because ultimately, even though I tried to act like I didn't have emotions, I did. And especially one of the, you know, as I was going through that lesson a few weeks ago on the family that is the church, the family that we have through God, through Christ, I put a lot of emotion into that lesson. Uh, and, and I don't mean that it was only emotion that I was speaking about, but, but I, I really felt a lot of the things that we spoke, especially you think about the discussion between Jesus and Peter. Peter says, Lord, we've left everything. And we have, we have left behind jobs. And we have left behind family specifically to follow you. And then you have that encouragement, that, that uh, beautiful encouragement that Jesus gives saying, listen, those who come after me, they, receive, they will receive a, uh, a greater family. And I, I think even in the text indicates that even on earth you have that. And I think that that's specifically the church. You gain that family that maybe you have lost because you followed Christ. You gain a family that maybe you never ever had in the first place. And as you go through a lesson like that, especially uh, if you've had issues with family in the past, that really hits you. And that really makes you, um, at least hopefully, um, that, that's something that draws you closer to even more fully investing yourself into the work of trying to encourage the brethren and, and build each other up. And I think that that is something that a preacher needs to have. An evangelist needs to have that kind of love that he is not, not just you know, partially investing, but fully investing his time, his energy, and his emotions, his love for, for the people. And so, again, as I go through all of this, this is to say that if you don't see that from me, you would be a friend, you would be a brother or a sister in Christ if you came to me and let me know those things as we uh, go throughout this, as we go throughout the, the, our, our work together here. Well, not only that, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15, another very familiar passage, not only should, we be, should uh, an evangelist be dedicated to the work of laboring in the field, but an evangelist needs to be dedicated and committed to more study, to further study, and deepening not just the knowledge of everyone else, but his own knowledge. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, Paul writing to who but an evangelist. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, we were just saying a moment ago that, that uh, an evangelist is to be an example, someone that when they are tested, they practice what they preach, much like Jesus. Now, I love in, verse, uh, in the passage we just read how Paul makes that very necessary distinction. Not to present yourself approved before man, but to prove, your, to, but to prove yourself before God. To make sure that you, uh, when, when you come before God, when you think about your relationship with God, that you will not be found wanting. And so definitely I think an evangelist needs to be uh, ever... Uh, ever more investing energy into trying to learn uh, more about God's word and deepening his knowledge. I was, I was looking at some 
um, notes from uh, Brother J.R. Bronger, and something he said is something he said before, and I just I, I always loved it. But he said, "I recognize that sermons don't come by inspiration, but by perspiration." <laughs> and I thought, yeah, there's, and, and there's literally been some moments where that's what it's felt like. And 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 I couldn't agree more. We we need to look at the inspired Word of God, and we need to to saturate our minds with it. And it should be that as we continually do that, that we never stop growing, that we never stop learning, and that we never stop desiring to learn. So there needs to be dedication in the role and the work of an evangelist. Well, finally, there also needs to be a recognition, and specifically a recognition of other roles that that I personally am to fulfill outside of just being an evangelist. I really am striving to do everything that I've already said. My time, my energy, my mental capacity, I'm, I'm really striving to, to push the limits there and, and make sure that I am fully uh, investing in the work of the Lord. But I also have to remember that while I am an evangelist, I'm also another, I'm, I'm just another Christian here at Lakeside. I am no more important and I am no less important than any other member here. And, and you can look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verses 1 through 2, where Paul talks about those kinds of relationships that we need to have one with another. And again, remember, he's talking to Timothy, who is an evangelist over in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. And so as he's speaking about the relationships you need to have, he, coming back to that familial relationship, uh, interestingly enough, but coming back to the notion that you... You're a member of that same church, and you need to make sure that you are fulfilling your part, and you need to make sure that you are fulfilling your work and your role in that body, in that local body. Um, well, not only am, am I also a member of, of this specific local congregation, but I'm also a husband and a leader of the household, and I have to make sure that I'm not neglecting that responsibility and that role. And so once more, I say, if you see any uh, disconnect in any of these instances, you would be a great brother or sister in Christ if you come and let me know that. I already have a wonderful sister in Christ that will definitely let me know that. But all of these things need to be balanced. I, I want to give all of my time and energy to being a preacher, but that doesn't mean at the expense of being a terrible husband and not being a leader. Those things need to be balanced, and I need to make sure that I don't forget those things. And soon, excitingly enough, a father. And I need to make sure that I don't forget that role. And I need to make sure that I don't forget that kind of, that kind of teaching. Not just specifically to make sure that I have a lesson and sermons here at Lakeside, which I still need to. But I also need to make sure that I don't neglect that kind of discipline and that kind of teaching to my own family. Uh, so, so I must, as, as really we all do. I must fulfill all of these roles that I'm responsible for and prioritizing them in the appropriate manner. And so there are going to be times where I think about what Paul says when he talks about his situation comparing it to Peter's. Peter has a wife, but Paul doesn't. Now, now Paul has a right to have a wife, but he specifically doesn't. And I think because he is trying to make sure he has more time to spend and, more, uh, and he can spend more efforts on the church specifically. And I think you get a little bit of that, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verses 32 through 34, you, you see him talk in this way that you need to act as if you, uh, those who are married, you need to act as if you have no spouse and, and, and vice versa. But 
Ultimately, he's not saying, you know, forget that you have responsibilities and forget that if you're married that you are married. What he's saying is, in terms of devotion, make sure you're prioritizing the right things. Because the people who are married, they are distracted. That's just, that's just the reality. And so they can't maybe give as much time as someone like Paul who wasn't distracted. <laughs> I don't want to say weighed down because that would give the wrong idea. But yes, distracted. And so ultimately, we're all striving to do the same thing. Uh, but as an evangelist, we need to make sure that I need to make sure and you need to make sure that we all don't forget that I need to uh, have just as much of a focus on all these other responsibilities that I'm just uh, that I'm going to be as accountable for. Well, moving on to the last point, I bring, I, I'm going to strive to bring all of those things that we talked about with me, but I also will need some things from you, the family here at Lakeside. And one of the things, just uh, to start, is respect. And not, I'm not saying, when I say respect, I'm not saying, I, you better respect me or, you know, we're going to have problems. No, I, I need respect specifically for the work's sake. Not respect for my hobbies and not respect necessarily for, you know, how, how funny looking I am, but respect for the work that I'm trying to do. First Thessalonians chapter 5, as Paul says in verse 12, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. Now, I will just say that uh, I think that you could even... Uh, not, I think that there's also some application, not just with evangelists here, not just with those who are working in that capacity, but when you get to the point of an eldership and deacons, I think that it's also kind of talking about that. Those who are working in that capacity, we need to make sure that we are encouraging them and we need to make sure that we have that kind of respect, particularly as you talk about the leadership within a local congregation being, being the eldership. And again, we can talk about that more in a future study. But uh, that is one thing that I will need for you. And, and again, not for, not respect for my education or my preaching style or the family that I come from, the fact that I'm married to uh, J.R. Bronger's daughter, Dwayne Bronger's uh, niece, or not even my oration skill, which I, I don't see that ever happening, but it, not respect for any of those vain carnal things but rather respect for the work of the Lord. Over in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 is Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord the harvest uh, of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's uh, kind of like something that we already read just a moment ago. But as, again, he says to pray for those. Beseech the Lord that there, will be, that there will be those to go out and do this work because it is a good work. And as he's sending a people, uh, some disciples out to do the work, uh, specifically during his ministry, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 10, in the middle of that, he tells them what to bring and not to bring. And he, says to, uh, uh, and he says, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And so while, when he is sending these, these disciples out, you'd think that if you're, just, if you're just leaving, if you're just going on a journey, well, you're going to need to pack everything because you don't know what's going to happen. But what he's saying is you don't bring those things because those that receive you, they will be uh, those that accept my teaching. They'll be the ones that accept the gospel. And if that's the case, they will support you in this way. 
But ultimately, I just especially the last part of that verse, for the worker is worthy of his support. And you see that even more in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as we already read, um, in another passage throughout the Gospels. Jesus makes that point. But, but ultimately, as we are talking about respect for the work's sake, that we need to make sure that we don't forget that. I need to make sure that I don't forget that. That I don't ever focus too much on, you know, my oratory skills, that I don't get too focused on trying to make sure that I'm just the most eloquent man. I need to make sure that I am spending much more time and having much more anxiety making sure that I'm only speaking the words of God. And so there, uh, I will need respect uh, for specifically the work's sake. I also will require understanding. Uh, and I think that before we even get into any of the points I have in my outline, you can just understand <laughs> from just from the outset that there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be understanding necessary in any relationship. Um, but for one thing, I need uh, understanding that first of all, I am not Josh McKibben, and I'm for that matter, I'm not Danny McKibben. And I'm not J.R. Bronger, though I, I am very close with him. I, I, I'll never be able to preach like him. I just know that I've tried. I'm not going to be able to be like Dwayne Bronger or David McPherson, all of the preachers that you've had before, all of the men that you know and love that do good jobs. I'll just tell you right now, I don't have those same abilities. And I may not even have the same kind of personality. I think it's hard to top the, the, <laughs> the kind of eagerness that Josh McKibben has. <laughs> And I've listened to a few of his sermons, or I listen to a variety of his sermons, and every time, it never sounds like he's tired. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to be able to match that kind of energy all the time. And I'm not going to be able to match the level of, of knowledge, uh, at, least, at least not anytime soon, that J.R. can show. I love how easily he can make an application and simplify things and boil things down. I'm working on that, but I'm not there yet. And so I need understanding in that case. One, and, and one thing, a uh, passage that I think is helpful in this is what Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or the letter. In verse 10 he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so Paul just making the case here, and even speaking to those people who would advocate that they are disciples of Paul, he's saying, listen, that's not what I want, that's not what any of these guys want. You think Apollos or Cephas wants this kind of division? And here he is saying, what is it that we need to be focused on? Jesus. And that's why he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, I, do, I came to, and tried to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's all. And not with superiority of speech or, or, or wisdom, worldly wisdom. That is what I wanted to bring. And so I, I, I go through that passage just to make the point that making those comparisons, maybe you miss one man in particular, one man just especially as we're going through one lesson or another, listening to you know, Luke, Luke going through one lesson or another, maybe it's just not as well polished as maybe this fellow could do. I understand that sometimes that is the case. I'm not even going to act like it's not. But at the same time, what is it that we're here to do? Not listen to someone give a great speech. Not, not listen to someone who just, who just really knows how to get the crowd, get, just get the crowd rolling in laughter. But we're here 
to deepen our knowledge and try to uh, build on top of that foundation of Christ and get closer through that foundation. And so uh, I will need understanding there. I'll also need understanding that it is God who gives the increase, not Luke Caps. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, why, why did we just read through that? Well, just to make the point that no matter who it is that's preaching, ultimately it's not by their power that anybody's being saved. And even Paul, as he says, I, you know, as I read sometimes, especially in 1 Corinthians, he'll say something like, well, I, did, I, I was not eloquent and I had no superiority of speech. And it's like, did you even read the book of Acts? Did you even read your biography? Because that just doesn't make sense. And, and so I look at him saying that about himself, and I'm just like, I, I have no chance. <laughs> not even going to come close to that kind of eloquence. But luckily, I don't have to worry about that because it's not the power of Luke Caps. And it's not the... the the beautiful lofty language of Luke Caps that saves people but it's the word of God it's the language of God and I'll just say I'll do whatever I can to make the gospel available and make it accessible in the best way that I know how and simplify things that's why I keep saying whenever I start a series I especially like this morning we were talking about starting a series on authority I said I just want to have simple lessons that's all I'm trying to do I want to make sure that from five years old, hopefully even younger if they can understand words, but you know, from the youngest among us to the oldest among us, that I'm not, that I'm not, try, that I'm not speaking words that are just over people's heads, just for, just, just for show. I'm going to try my best to make sure that the gospel is available, but I, I can't make it palatable, palatable to the hearer. Ultimately, that's on them. And so I'll ask, I need to ask for understanding there. But also that, that uh, I, while I have more opportunity to do this work that doesn't take the responsibility away from anybody else that we all have this responsibility of evangelism now we already made the distinction there is going to be more opportunities presented to me especially because I get to do this full time and I'm so grateful and thankful for that and I appreciate all of you for allowing me to be able to do that uh, but that doesn't mean that the responsibility is taken away from everyone collectively it's the church's responsibility to spread the gospel to everyone and so this brings us to the next point, uh, which is opportunities. There are going to be many opportunities that you all can present me with and both of us with that I might not have without this relationship. Uh, you, you see a few examples of how pe people were brought to the gospel, people were brought to Jesus. Many people brought family members or friends or even whole communities to Jesus. You see the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4 she brings a whole town to see Jesus at the end of that uh, uh, conversation with him. The church spread like wildfire in the midst of persecution because everyone participated, because everyone was speaking. They didn't become silent about the word, even though that was the very thing that, that drove them from their homes and drove them further into uh, further affliction. But they continued preaching that word. And that's why the gospel spread. That's why the church spread. But all of that, just to say, this... It, you can provide me with more opportunities to study with people, to teach family members, to teach friends, to teach co-workers, neighbors, folks that I might not otherwise have a chance to meet ever. But now, you know, and I've said this to a few people, you know, there are some people that we want to go talk to and I'll just say, hey, 
We, we have a really good opportunity here. You just say, we just got a new preacher. He's funny looking. You want to meet him? <laughs> and, I made, and that was a joke. I mean, every, everyone should understand that's a joke at least. <laughs> but, I mean, we can use that kind of opportunity. That is an opportunity. It's an exciting, it's an exciting time for, for, for me especially, being able to come to a, 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 a local congregation that is, is striving to, do, to follow the pattern that God has given them and also striving to spread that word and, as, and spread the gospel as much as possible. It's exciting, the conversations I've already had with a few of you, some of the conversations about, well, what we can plan about for future Bible classes, future material that we can go over, and just talking about, you know, uh, you know the needs of some over here that, that maybe they just need encouragement, or maybe there are some over here that just need uh, to have a Bible study at some point, people that maybe I've never met. And you've provided me already with so many wonderful opportunities, and I don't want that to ever stop. Uh, and, and so let's begin this relationship together by looking around and finding people, finding people that we can start studies with and that we can invite to services. And, and you know, if, if you can't think of a good uh, in, introduction into trying to invite somebody, well, you, you know, you can use the, the, the joke, the joke that I just gave a moment ago. You could say, hey, we have a new preacher. Yes, even someone who comes from the state that IU comes from can be saved. And you could just start your conversation like that. It's that easy. But there are many opportunities that we have before us. And so all that just to say, though, I, I haven't come to do your work, but I have come to work and provide all I can for the cause of Christ. And so, like, my dad used to tell me, if you're too afraid to say no to somebody at school that you know you need to say no to, please use me as the excuse. Say, no, my dad, my dad wouldn't want that. My mom and dad, I know that they wouldn't want me to do that, so I can't. And, and uh, you know, I, to a different degree, I, I give you that same permission. If you want an excuse to go and talk to somebody, if you want a, a, an introduction to use, just say, hey, fellow from Indiana, whatever the case may be. And, and, and I hope that we can get excited and, and think about different things that we can do together to bring, whether it be family members or friends or neighbors or anything of the sort, people that we work with. Or beyond that. But all of that just to say, that requires participation. And participation in many different ways. First of all, just as we were talking about, in finding people to have studies with together. And, and each in the capacity that we're able, as we already mentioned. But also, participation in just standing with me when I do stand for the truth. And when I have to be firm on those things. Like marriage, divorce, remarriage. That's a topic that's never easy to talk about. And there's moments where you have to be very firm and say, this is the standard and we will not move from it. And that's the same with withdrawal. That's the same with all kinds of things that the Bible talks about, whether it being laws of, 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 uh, or deeds of lawlessness or good works. And we need to stand firm in that together, united in harmony. There also needs to be participation or there can be participation in the Bible classes. Uh, you know, there, there's, I, I've even seen places where You'll have only the local evangelist teaching the Bible classes. And I'll just say for a couple of reasons, I don't think that's the most effective all the time. I do, I do want to teach. I'm not saying that. But uh, if you're hearing the same person over and over again, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's always justified, but sometimes people's voices just kind of become monotonous. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm really just trying to think of you all. <laughs> but 
We need to participate in that way. We need to try to divvy up that kind of responsibility because it is all of our responsibilities together to teach one another, to help each other in the Bible study. And I've appreciated everyone that I've been able to hear on, on Sundays or Wednesdays, Brother Danny going through the Psalms, Brother Kent going through First and Second Timothy and, and finishing up Titus this month. I've really appreciated that, and I've appreciated being able to just sit at the feet of men who know God's word and are willing to talk about it. I, I love it. I enjoy it. I know I'm a preacher, and I don't get to, to do it much, but I love being able to sit and listen to people preach the gospel. It's something. It's a story that never gets old, <laughs> and, I, and hopefully, uh, hopefully that's, that's how you feel even when I'm preaching. But we need to participate in all of those kinds of things. Men leading in the worship services. We need to participate in that. Women participating in the worship and making sure that we're singing songs to God and making sure that uh, we're not just sitting there and participating in the studies and in the outreach with one another. There are so many different things, exciting opportunities that we have before us to spread the gospel. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, a very familiar passage, but in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So all of this just to say, there are all kinds of responsibilities that we collectively have towards one another. And we need to make sure that we don't try to abdicate those to other people, and we need to make sure that we are striving to to maintain an ever-present joy of being a Christian and being within this family and being able to work for such a beautiful and glorious reward and being able to share that with other people, trying to share that joy with others who may not know the gospel yet. Well, uh, and, and there you have Hebrews chapter 10, that passage there. But as we conclude tonight, I hope that you, you don't think that as we've gone through some of these things that they were just maybe monotonous or pointless applications to go through or maybe they're just silly things that that Luke thought of randomly no I I, I think it's a good thing that to, to think about these things especially as as me and Pedro just getting here I, I'll tell you that I did the same thing when I got to Buckhorn when I first got there I wanted to have a lesson that was specifically dedicated to the work of an evangelist the expectation of an evangelist and I wanted to just change it this time as, as I was going through it. Not only do I want to focus on the expectation of an evangelist, but I wanted to, to uh, also go over the expectations of all of us. And there certainly is an expectation of God that we do participate in the good deeds that he has written down for us, that he has revealed for us to obey and to fully, uh, to, to fully act out in our own lives. If you're a Christian and you feel like maybe you haven't been doing the things that he has written out for us. And you know, maybe for a fact, that you just aren't in that right relationship. You know that you have been maybe slacking. You can make your life right with him tonight. You have an advocate in heaven. Don't leave the building. Don't leave this building. If you have a doubt in your mind that if, should you lose your life today, that you wouldn't be in heaven with him. And I'd say the same to those who are just not yet Christians. If you haven't yet put on Christ in baptism, if you haven't made him your king and pledged allegiance to him through that, I would just ask, what is it that you're doing? Don't you want that kind of assurance? The same assurance that says, should, should I live another 80 years and die in 80 or 90 years, or should I die this very night? I know for a fact I'll be with my God. 
you can do a good work tonight. You can obey Christ and you can put him on in baptism and you can make your life right with him and begin a new life, rising in newness of life, in his life, through his sacrifice. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we say.